Hello and welcome to Sermons from First Press, a weekly podcast from the First Presbyterian Church of Ann Arbor, Michigan. The first scripture reading for today comes from the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 15, verses 19 through 26. If we have a hope in Christ only in this life, then we deserve to be pitied more than anyone else. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He's the first crop of the harvest of those who have died. Since death came through a human being, the resurrection of the dead came through one too. In the same way that everyone dies in Adam, so also everyone will be given life in Christ. Each event will happen in the right order. Christ, the first crop of the harvest, then those who belong to Christ at his coming, and then the end, when Christ hands over the kingdom to God the Father, when he brings every form of rule, every authority, and power to an end. It is necessary for him to rule until he puts all enemies under his feet. Death is the last enemy to be brought to an end. This is the word of the Lord. The images were utterly heartbreaking. Not just any place of worship, but the Cathedral of Notre Dame, engulfed in flames like a dagger in the heart of Western civilization, someone said. A deep wound for people of faith. This tall, strong spire falling before our eyes, thrusting us deeper into the pain of Holy Week. John Meacham wrote of this catastrophe, the cathedral was a house of God reminding us that God is worthy in many ways of worship, and we are not. A kind of icon of New Jerusalem, Notre Dame was supposed to make you feel awe. It was supposed to make you feel small. And on Monday, we beheld an elemental crisis, fire and faith, two things, two elements that shape us. To have one element from our core destroy another was a fascinating, unsettling moment. We saw two things we revere and two things we don't particularly understand, fire and faith fighting each other. Meacham's words could apply to our Holy Week experience as well, where we also witness two things we don't fully understand, but deeply respect fighting one another, life and death. We could not turn our eyes from that raging fire in a monument to Christ at Notre Dame. We could not turn our faces from the crucifixion of our real Christ just five days later. Good Friday was beyond heartbreaking. Watching Jesus hanging on that cross brutally tortured a spear in his side. In his presence, his followers felt awe, and helpless at his death, they felt small. Bereft and burdened with grief for our Lord and teacher and friend, one cherished and revered, dying slowly in front of us until he breathed his last. Taken down, we were left shattered. Until that Sunday morning when life destroyed death, when Jesus rose again by the power of God, our creator, to make dead bones live. Notre Dame will rise again, surely by the generosity and determination and ingenuity of the people of France. 
Until then, the stories and history of Notre Dame will hold the people of France and Catholics and all who cherish her. And we know, because as God's people, our stories, our history holds us and heals us, Christ's disciples, until the final advent of our Lord when he comes again in glory. Let us pray. Strengthen your church throughout the world this Easter day. From the people of small, burned-out parishes in Louisiana to the people of Paris, be with all who have suffered such loss and turn their shame into praise. More than merely raising new structures, lift them, not to rebuild buildings alone, but to generate faithful communities centered on you, places and people that will transform this broken world in your holy name. Amen. Our scripture reading from today, from the Gospel of Matthew. Hear now what the Word of God says to us. After the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the tomb. Look, there was a great earthquake, for an angel from the Lord came down from heaven. Coming to the stone, he rolled it away and sat on it. Now, his face was like lightning and his clothes as white as snow. The guards were so terrified of him that they shook with fear and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, don't be afraid. I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He isn't here because he's been raised from the dead just as he said. Come, see the place where they laid him. Now hurry, go and tell the disciples. He's been raised from the dead. He's going on ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. I've given this message to you. With great fear and excitement, they hurried away from the tomb and ran to tell the disciples. But Jesus met them and greeted them. They came and grabbed his feet and worshipped him. And Jesus said to them, Don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers that I am going into Galilee, and they will see me there. This is the word of the Lord. Waking up is hard. Steinbeck was wrong when he wrote that humans all do about the same thing when they wake up. It is rare to open our eyes and bound out of bed with energy. Most of us crave more sleep. Toddlers awake at the crack of dawn. Teenagers, not so much. (laughs) You know who you are, you who hit the snooze button exactly three times. For some of us, the best part of waking up is not Folgers in your cup, but something much more trendy and local, a little ruse roast perhaps, followed by quiet or a hot shower, and only then is human interaction allowed. But no matter how we awaken, the best part of waking up is waking up to the gift of another day coming from sleep to live and breathe, to laugh and love, when, as Jane Kenyon wrote in her famous poem, it might have been otherwise. Waking up has fascinated me since I was a child. My dad was a veteran of the Korean War, and many former combat veterans like him, especially those who also have PTSD, wake from sleep shaped by all those years in a war zone. They wake startled and ready to defend and fight. So dad, no matter where he fell asleep, would wake up fearful, fists clenched, and a startled yell, what? 
No matter when or where, he always awoke for combat. So imagine him, a religious man who religiously fell asleep in church. (laughs) Dad sat us halfway down on the inside aisle. Soporific sermons sedated him. On many Sundays, just when the pastor's clever opening moved into real Bible stuff, Dad's head would start to bob, his eyes would start to close, and as the sermon ended, he was often snoring. If you've ever seen the comedy sketch of Mr. Bean falling asleep in church, you know what this looked like. Then the ushers would come to collect the offering. I sat there during those meditative moments filled with dread. They would approach the pew to hand him the plate and startle him awake. They would approach the pew and startle him awake. It was a real embarrassment to a seven-year-old and not much fun for our own version of Bill Austin. (laughs) Maybe that is why I gravitated to ministry, because in this role, it's impossible to fall asleep in church. (laughs) Now I dread giving a soporific sermon to sedate you. Now, waking is probably the closest thing we experience physically to coming back from the dead. At the heart of the Christian faith, what brought you all here today, what you awakened to this morning, was this good news. Jesus did come back from the dead. He awoke to life. Skeptics and cynics and scientists scoff at the resurrection. They mock our faith for the lack of proof of it. But upon that event, our faith begins. John Updike in his seven stanzas on Easter wrote, Make no mistake, if he rose at all, it was as his body. If the cell's dissolution did not reverse, the molecule re-knit, the amino acids rekindle, the church will fail. It was not as his spirit in the mouths and fuddled eyes of the eleven apostles, it was as his flesh, ours. The same hinged thumbs and toes, the same valved heart that pierced, died, withered, paused, and then regathered out of enduring might, new strength to enclose. Let us not mock God with metaphor, analogy, sidestepping, transcendence, making of the event a parable, a sign painted in the faded credulity of earlier ages. Let us walk through the door. Let us not seek to make it less monstrous for our own convenience, our own sense of beauty, lest awakened in one unthinkable hour we are embarrassed by the miracle. Life, complicated and messy as we know it to be, begins here with a messy, unprovable miracle because one man truly died, we get to truly live. He awakes and we arise. It is strange that for all the emphasis on the trio of events, crucifixion, death, resurrection, there is only silence on this most significant act. Scripture has a lot to say about the crucifixion, and the Gospels give much attention to the events leading up to his death and burial and the many appearances of Jesus to his followers. We have details on empty tombs and stones rolled away and earthquakes and angels which help us to know that the resurrection has occurred. But there is no description of the actual moment of resurrection. We don't get to see. 
And not because there was a holy redaction by God or an ancient (laughs) Bill Barr. God was intentional. How Jesus comes to life is hidden away in that tomb. We only know that it began in darkness, as did creation. Jesus' resurrection was just between him and God. Not knowing the depth and detail of how life returned to his lungs, how his eyes opened, and how he moved into that blessed morning, we must do the best we can. Believe, as Updike wrote, and focus on what we do know. We do know something. We do know something about waking up and resurrection. We know about overcoming things that might as well have been death. Times and moments and experiences so tragic that it was hard to believe they weren't the end. We have known redemption from our trials, restoration from our losses, recreation of lives we've either screwed up with our unfortunate choices or have had to rebuild because of what others or tragedies or diseases have done to us. We know waking up, waking up from moments in our lives we thought would end the story waking up to something better than we ever could have imagined. In those times, God has given us new life again and again, our powerful stories of faithful resurrection diminish the doubts that cling to Easter. Our waking up begins in darkness too. Jan Richardson wrote that for this way, resurrection works. It gathers itself in the darkness, beginning in such secrecy and hiddenness that it can be difficult for us to recognize it at the time. It wasn't the way my dad woke up in church that remains with me, but the way he woke up when everything fell apart around him. His marriage died, his job was over, his family was estranged. I watched his resurrection, his awakening, his devotion to helping people less fortunate after he lost so much of himself. God breathed new life into him, and he began again. Peter, Christ's own disciple, denied Christ, only to be declared the cornerstone of the early church. God breathed new life into him, and he began again. St. Augustine begun as a wealthy playboy and partier who was reborn a great theologian. God breathed life into him, and he began again. Chuck Colson conspired in the crimes of Watergate and spent years in prison, then created Prison Fellowship International, which does massive good for incarcerated people. God breathed new life into him, and he began again. Communities also come back to life. Detroit, after the riots of 67, Hiroshima. In the burned-out city of Paradise, California, Utility crews recently brought power, gas, and phone lines back to the windy streets and cul-de-sacs where lot after lot were obliterated by the campfire. Nations come alive and rebuild after death. Germany, Rwanda, the stories are endless. Resurrection happens because God breathed new life into them and they began again. I watch you again and again when beaten down by disastrous diagnoses, broken families, burned up dreams, burned out callings, when you've been holed up in your own tombs of despair, I have seen you. I have watched this church family doggedly push forward and work your way out of caves of mystery and frustration and hurt. You are so resilient. 
God can and does breathe new life into us, into our pain and death, into our suffering, however unworthy we might be. Resurrection happens because God is breathing new life into us. Let us be clear about our resurrections. We don't know what Christ was like. We do know that our own resurrections, our own redemptions and struggles from death to new life are often messy and painful and even terrifying. Our struggles feel just as impossible as Christ's resurrection seems to be. Some resurrections occur not in days but over lifetimes. We fight through ashes and embers and we struggle to see the other side, the new life, the Easter morning. Alas, some seem always incomplete, but God breathes new life into us and we begin again. Nadia Boltz-Weber, author and pastor herself, a walking billboard of resurrection, says the Christian faith, while wildly misrepresented in so much of American culture, is really about death and resurrection. It's about how God continues to reach into the graves we dig for ourselves and pull us out, giving us new life in ways both dramatic and small. But I would go a step further. Our Christian faith is the story of the relentless action of God from creation to redemption, driven and defined by grace and hope and love, and the lengths that God will take with unending compassion for you and for me to save us from sin, to save us from ourselves. That's what God does. The story of resurrection is about what we do. It needs us. Resurrection requires revelation. It demands our response, and it lives through relationships. God gave life to Jesus, and we give life to resurrection. Our gospel writer loves an action story. The Marys have to be there, and all these verbs with them. Without the sadness, the showing up, the seeing, the running, the telling, the worshiping, there is no story here but death. Come, Look, hurry, go, tell. They ran, they met, they touched, they worshipped. And in Matthew, when they are in motion, that is when Christ appears. Isn't that when we encounter Christ as well? When we bring the story to life by seeing and feeling and sharing and serving and loving and worshipping? Christ says he will meet us at the place where we go to tell, to make disciples, to build relationships. So resurrection requires revelation. It demands response. It lives through relationships. It depends on us. The theologian John Henry Newman put it this way back in 1860. We too, though we are not witnesses of Christ's actual resurrection, are so spiritually By a heart awake from the dead and by affections set on heaven, we can as truly and without figure witness that Christ lives as they did. To a world indeed at large he witnesses not, for few can see him near enough to be moved by his manner of living. But to his neighbors, to his neighbors, he manifests the truth in proportion to their knowledge of him. And some of them, through God's blessing, catch the holy flame, cherish it, 
and in their turn transmit it. And thus, in a dark world, truth still makes way in spite of the darkness passing from hand to hand. Resurrection empowers us to claim our place. We are not bystanders. Resurrection isn't only about what God does. It's about what we do when we are made alive again. Look, you love beholding this beautiful story. You feel joy just knowing it happened. But truly living it is to take it and share it and give it to others. And that is where the work of faith begins. Just as the Marys felt joy and fear, so do we. Robert Louis Stevenson rightly said that the resurrection experience doesn't arouse in us a fear of dying, but a fear of living. To understand the hard work of faith is to get our arms around that fear. You came today not to celebrate Easter, but to be changed by it. No matter how thick-headed, misguided, or imperfect we may be, no matter what happens to us in life, there are no tombs of despair. Only the unconditional saving love of God for each one of us because of who we are and how God made every blessed one of us. Easter changes us to love like that. Easter changes us to dig fewer graves for ourselves and lend God a hand in bringing people out of their graves. Go and tell and flood the world with stories of resurrection so that everyone, everyone, everyone will know where to turn. It is about us. We woke up this morning. It might have been otherwise. Jesus woke up this morning too, made alive again. So let us awake to a living, breathing faith. Nelson Mandela said that there is nothing like returning to a place unchanged to find the ways you yourself have been altered. This story has not changed. On this Easter day, you have come here again. Have you changed? God has breathed new life into us this day, my friends, and now our resurrection may begin, and here our work begins. Resurrection is an unimaginable grace, yes? And a massive challenge. Are you ready to accept it? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And now as the people of God on this resurrection day, let us pray. It wasn't long ago that we gathered to celebrate the birth of Christ, to reflect the mysteries of the Incarnation and the way that Christ emptied himself of his holiness, while at the same time pointing to your perfect image. How he entered the fullness of our humanity, with all our joys and with all our quirks and sorrows. So through the muck and the messiness and the mire, he has proclaimed your good news of love of resurrection. In the past week, we've witnessed much of the worst of humanity. Humanity rejected the very gift of hope, putting Christ to death, attempting to prevent the emergence of the kingdom of grace and the rush of the Spirit as she erupts into the world. In these moments, we recognize the darkness that threatens our lives and the world, loneliness and grief, humiliation and shame. 
illness and death, homelessness, hunger, divisions and war, terrorism, hatred and oppression, violence and abuse. But in the light of Easter morning, we raise those who are struggling with illness, who despair over their lives and the breakup of relationships. On this day, may the light of Christ shine upon them all. In the light of this Easter morning, we bring those places in the world where war and poverty and violence and need and terror are the experiences of everyday life. Our hearts go out to the people of Sri Lanka, where bombings in churches and other places have taken lives. On this day, we watch yet more immigrants, families, and children pile up along nations' borders. Our hearts break and our heads spin. So bring your light to these places and to the whole world, O Christ. This week we did watch Notre Dame burn, and our hearts and souls were torched as well. A place so beautiful, so fragile, so holy. The loss of life is terrible to behold, but the devastation of beauty is no less so. And in time of anxiety, of ugliness, and corruption, and hatred, and lies, those and other blazes feel ominous. So remind us that beauty is truth and truth is beauty, as Keats said. And so as a part of us is destroyed, let us look to you that we might be resurrected. So resurrect us on this day, O Christ, and be for us the unshakable foundation in this tumultuous world. On this day you've rolled away the stone, your light has pierced the darkness. On this day the hope that Jesus lived and died has emerged even stronger. So this day, baptized into death with Christ, we are being reborn into newness of life. On this day, a whole new world is being born in you, and your kingdom bursts into full flower. This and so much more we offer, remember, and pray in the way of Jesus, who has gone before us to show us how to live. And we say together in one voice, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thanks for worshiping with us. For more information, visit us on the web at www.firstpresbyterian.org or send an email to info at firstpresbyterian.org. See you next week for another sermon from First Press.